0: to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're
1: drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay
0: him. Pay this man his
1: money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they gonna say? No? I don't wanna see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're gonna make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return and I'll trust you to watch his kids for the I'm
2: a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Well hookbate, Stacy Jacks. I'm, I'm Tamal. Andrew on the board. SP features up five. Nasdaq Futures up forty three. Um Do we have Mr. Brendan? Yes, I'm here,
3: Chief. How are you
2: this morning? Alright. Um I have your uh, if you weren't already married to a lovely lady, I have your I have your new wife here for you.
3: Really?
2: Who's that? <laughs> uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, representative. <laughs>
3: Does that mean
2: I'd have to move to Georgia? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, th- is, is, you know what? You know what? She really should have been. She should have been in the uh, the comic act with George Went and was uh, Chris Farley and who was the other guy about Ditka. She, oh, she, she <laughs> treats she treats scared. Trump like Ditka. Yeah. <laughs> President Trump what, would never what have tolerated this. President Trump would have never tolerated many things happen to America. The greatest mega president ever. Are these people out of their friggin' mind?
3: <laughs> yes, they are out of their mind.
2: I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, you know what, what is it about human events? And this is not a, a, a shot. Well, it's, a, it's a shot at like current Republicans? But why is it every person? What what is the? I'm going to ask you, as a lawyer and somebody who knows a lot about the world, what is the mentality about? Ignorant people that will say, "We got to hang him, got to hang him," and you say, "Okay, here's the lever. You pull it." No, I'm not going to pull it. Why is it that everybody who's not in power always tells the other side how they should start shooting? And in a the minute, you get any po- any responsibility, even Trump, you're hesitant to shoot at stuff.
3: Well, because that's when reality sets in. You know, yeah, it's a lot easier to to take pot shots from a distance, but when the when the total responsibility is on your shoulders, the person's shoulders. Uh, it's hard to really, uh, and you recognize the power, that maybe you wouldn't do what you're advocating other people to do.
2: Um, didn't, i mean refresh my memory, but didn't Trump have four years of dealing with this guy and the guy in Korea, and he went over there and talked to him and shook hands and made him equals and everything else? It didn't do a damn bit of good. His his policy, did, if anything, if anything, and I don't like either one of them, him or Biden, if anything, Biden's been way harder on these guys than he ever was in an actual
3: I, I think so, too.
2: <coughs> and yeah, it's, 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 it's not working. <laughs> neither, one of them, neither one of the policies working. They don't seem to care. They're doing whatever they feel like doing, and they don't care. Or where am I wrong? Uh,
3: no, I think you're right. And I think that that's universal with power. I think Putin's the same way. That Putin's doing things now that he would not have done. Uh, that, that, you know, I don't think the the um, Trump being the president stopped anything that any of these guys are doing or would stop them. I also think that there might have been some uh, uh, some grievances that were shared, but I think Trump was just out to protect himself. And even though nothing happened in, in the four years, it turns out later on that maybe things did happen. Like there might have been some balloons over America when uh, when Trump was in power. Either we couldn't detect it because of the capability of our um, of, of our security system, or we did know about it it wasn't disclosed to the public.
2: The uh, I've actually been reading. Well, as you know, everybody's been sending sending uh, information back and forth to people around the air. And uh, the one that okay. came our way yesterday, I don't had a chance to read. It had to do with just it just is enough. It was it was just a in your face kind of thing by the Chinese, daring us to do something, letting us yeah. know that, that that you know that w- it's not all just us. And it, it had nothing to yeah. do with what the thing was collecting. It had nothing to do with dropping covid germs or whatever the hell the thing was doing it just was a in your face kind of thing and uh
3: just to let you know that we can do it
2: yeah and uh you know i don't know i i don't know if lou says those things are huge that some of our our four million cubic feet of helium where do you find that much helium for god's sake
3: (laughs) no one of these shortage shortages you can't get balloons for birthday parties
2: yeah i mean it's like (laughs) i I, you know like well lou was talking about that yesterday i don't know if you listened to him he called in some uh, kind of a special thing on this and uh, he, he he said the uh, I was just thinking how many you know when you get when you go to well I have been to one in ages because I don't have any kids but you you get the, the the metal thing the thing that looked like an old oxygen tank right that thing would be full yeah. of helium I mean, all I'm thinking of is how many of those things would it take to fill up a balloon like this I'm like God I mean what do you what do you even use to fill in the, mm-hmm. I mean I can't even imagine the amount of Imagine if it was like natural gas. How much you'd need a thing,
3: you know. So I don't
2: know. I don't well, right.
3: Plus, plus, you think about the size of that balloon, and <coughs> helium dissipates. When you're, when you're filling a balloon, <coughs> whether it's one of those mylar balloons or another balloon, um, after a while, the helium starts to leave the balloon, so it shrinks. So somehow you've got to have enough in there to keep it blowing keep it to keep the, the balloon afloat the other thing I found interesting is all the people who are saying that we should have shot it down when it was over uh, Alaska or over Canada or over other states and first, I don't think Canada would or any nation would take kindly if an American Air Force pilot shot down something over their territory.
2: I don't think they would either. Uh, well, they didn't shoot it down.
3: Even, even if it's one of our friendly nations like, like Canada. <laughs>
2: well, they didn't shoot it down.
3: I know. <clears throat> So but my point is that you know, I've I heard some reports that some of the Republicans I, I don't know if it was Marjorie Taylor Greene or not, but saying we should have shot it down a lot sooner. The other thing is that when they shot it down over water there was a chance of retrieving it, a better chance of retrieving it to find out what it's you know, reverse engineer to a point where you could kind of see what's there if it was over land. I mean the, the story is they didn't want to risk injuring people on the ground, but I think there'd be a lot more damage to the to the balloon if it Falls from ten thousand, eleven thousand feet, or I guess it was higher than that. Um, sixty thousand feet just at the bits, as opposed to falling into the, thing's, the water. The thing sixty thousand hard, feet. but not as hard as hitting the ground.
2: Yeah, but but Ditka, it, he would never have done it if Ditka was in office. Ditka, Trump, I'm what's sure. the difference? You know, I mean, am I goofy by saying there's like there's almost a comparison between the way these guys are talking and like the goofballs around National Nash- Saturday Night Live, Dar yeah. Oh God! If, if Ditka was in office, this wouldn't have happened. If Ditka was a coach, we'd be to beat those guys. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. what, what are we doing <laughs> anyway? I I tell you what: if if you were if you were president and if some of this something like this happened, you sit there and go, why me? <laughs> why mm-hmm. why me? Yeah, uh, but uh, what do you suppose this thing cost? It was the size of three school buses. I mean, how many of them are there? I mean, Lou Blue, Blue says we have all kinds of stuff like this, uh, uh, weather sure balloons and stuff like that, and. uh I I I am having I have trouble trying to figure out who who made the treaty that says if you're up high enough it's okay so if you're in, if you're in space but I mean, if I don't have any what what if I don't have a, a space vehicle then I want to look at what you're doing you know we you know where the uh, the balloons of the uh, observation balloons were invented what well, war
3: well I they were invented, I, I remember them from the Civil War
2: yeah they're invented in the Civil War. Solar were solar Lynn. They, solar they, they didn't move
3: around. They just went up, and it was like being in a tall tower. You know, they didn't have skyscrapers out in the middle of the fields in Gettysburg, so they would have a balloon. The guy would go up in the balloon in the basket and see where the troops were. Yeah, those were those were a target up there. But
2: <laughs> those were, those were hot <laughs> yeah. air balloons, weren't they? I think those were hot air balloons. I think those were hot air balloons.
3: Yeah, they were. I think they were hot air balloons.
2: And uh, I think in World War One, didn't you get a uh, <laughs> didn't you get a kill for shooting down a balloon? If you're
3: probably.
2: Anyway, very, 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 very strange stuff. Hey, I, um, it's probably a, sort of a little bit out of here. I was going to talk about it more with Hal later and how you do research. But I don't know, are you? Are you? You've been listening to the somewhat controversy over the labor numbers last Friday and the million two people they somehow found.
3: Yeah, I, I saw that a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really interesting how economic numbers change from time to time.
2: How do you? I mean, I guess you know you've been uh, without uh, you know giving anybody too much history on you. You've been closer to government than than most of the people. I mean, Lou's sued government, so I guess well he was in he was in the air force for a while. But uh, when when you see these these numbers wandering about that people talk about, and then you see them and you look at them, and they don't make any sense. Can you figure out what level (coughs) that you know that sort that that happens? I mean a. I mean, you were closer to city and state, but if, if somebody wanted to talk about, like, crime statistics or something, at what level does somebody change the numbers? It's, it can't be the guy sitting there, cor- cor- you know, collating the thing from day one and actually getting the numbers. Okay. I, mean, I mean, who takes the responsibility of, I mean, I, I don't, I, I you know, these adjustments they make in the numbers, I'm sure there's a reason for it and all that stuff, but <clears throat> I just wonder how, over the last 12 months, how anybody could possibly have, talked about it for eight hours a day on TV, especially on the days that the numbers come out, and people making policy on it, and people taking credit for it, and all this other kind of stuff, when every mo- every month's number now appears to have been off by a factor of 50%. Mm-hmm. I, mean, how, I, mean, how you, how, I mean, you must have known that in October or November. I mean, you didn't just, didn't just, you know, didn't, thanks for the flash, Gordon, as he used to say on the, sh- on the floor all of a sudden in the middle of January, oops, there's a million two people, We, <laughs> we you know. And it has to have been around at least rumored before that, wouldn't you think?
3: You would think. And uh, my experience has been that uh, it varies from administration to administration, and it also varies depending on how high up the chain uh, a person is as far as involved in policy as opposed to watching the numbers. And sometimes uh, the the, the department head who reports to the mayor or who reports to the president or reports to the governor, (coughs) knows that that the, they don't have time they don't have the time or the experience to really look behind the numbers and somebody else lower down the chain can do one of two things either make an honest mistake or calculate something differently or intentionally try to make their boss or the boss's boss look good and in either case it's up to the you know, the policymaker the the head of the department who's the immediate reports the mayor the governor to say, um, we're skewing these numbers to make you look good. Or, um, you know, he may not be that blatant, but do it in a way that the, the president or the governor or the mayor can't be caught up, although ultimately they are. Uh, and sometimes they're just honest mistakes because you've got younger, inexperienced people who are trying to show how brilliant they are and come up with a new way of reading the numbers and compiling the numbers. Uh, and you know, unless you've got somebody who both understands how the numbers are reconfigured and is willing to say so, uh, you get mistakes like this. And then ultimately somebody else will come along and say, you know, this really isn't right. We've got to go back and do a correction. And we may have to do a correction for a month or for a quarter or for a year. You know, and when they find out where where the uh where the aberrations are.
2: Well as uh is it whenever I lob one out there like this where in my way of thinking, I have Lou lou sitting on my shoulder saying Chief, don't ever think that you think like other people. Uh, I, I, mean, I the, the curiosity here, and I know I beat up on this more. The listeners are probably saying, why is he talking about this again? Uh, curiosity here is when a guy like uh, Jerome Powell comes out and talks about these numbers, and and, and I'm just a, a dopo from the south side, and I look at him and I go, wait a minute, these don't make any sense. Um, the dude either has to know, I mean, I guess if it was me, and again, I'm, I'm lobbing my own mentality in there, and I suspect you're the same way. But then again, we're just a couple of Southside schlumps. Uh, I'd want to know if somebody played with a number. Now, okay. what? And and uh, you know, if, if if you know, I would say somebody comes out and says, "Well, you know, Chairman Chief, uh, we're well, you're, you're going to talk about these CPI numbers, but be advised that the rent number that everybody knows about now is like 30 percent of somebody's paycheck." And we've got it here at seven because the rent number's up so much, and I don't want this embarrassing you, or I don't. Want, I know you don't want these numbers up higher than they shouldn't, then you want them to be, or something along. I, I I don't know if I would say you can't do that. I would hope I would, but if the thought of I, that I would go out there and a not be smart enough to see it myself, or not to be told about it. I would find that an amazing fog if I was trying to run something. Well,
3: I agree, <clears throat> and I do think though so. that that's. that's- Simple-minded approach that, that you and I would both take, because sometimes um, you know a, a number can be uh, can be interpreted differently by somebody at a lower level, and they may not catch it even upon the review. And if the person above them doing the review in the chain assumes that yeah you know, Joe Schmo who did the numbers in the first, I mean think of it like this way: if you're looking at uh, audits by uh, major accounting firms they sometimes go back and review numbers and do things differently, but it takes a long time to do an audit because of the details and the layers of review within the accounting firm. And sometimes something at a very low level can have very significant consequences of what is either uh, put out in the numbers or, uh, or or caught. And so the level of review can easily get askew. What I, what I think is really interesting about uh, the numbers that, that you're talking about at the federal level is knowing how much scrutiny there will be paid to those numbers and that it's happening over and over again, not not just in this administration, but in every administration, with the idea that um, whoever's in power, whoever is the president, can do no wrong. And we have to make sure that things are are in alliance with the best possible picture. Only to understand later on that that argument is completely undercut. Uh and I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is that nobody is willing to give the other side credit for anything, and the least mistake, the smallest mistake, will be magnified. Um, And there's there's no quarter given on either side, and therefore people are unwilling to say, okay, it was a mistake, let's correct it so that we're not uh, compounding the issue down the road or making it again just because you don't want to get beat up.
2: Why do you suppose... um, We don't have an hour, we could talk about it for an hour. Uh, Why do you suppose... We've reached this insane level of like this as representative Green. I mean, she she's not she doesn't know anything more about any of this stuff than you and I do. So I would say she knows a
3: little bit less than you and I do. <laughs> you well,
2: know, but I'm saying the, the the briefing might actually be that we had we had people tracking this thing. We had the thing being jammed. It was of no use, no problem to anybody. We just waited till it got it. That might be the answer, you know. But okay. but. I mean there's somehow the thing that's weird about this Brennan, is, is everybody's convinced this is what the, the court of public opinion this is what we're're we're, we're, we're de- degenerating into and uh were you were you a star trek fan Yes. remember, remember the the first two part episode of the of the new generation mm-hmm. when the guy uh kidnapped the uh, the, the the deity kind of guy what, the, what was what was his name uh uh, the guy they were always dealing with—the that was—he could come and go, and he could shape. Yeah,
3: anything about
2: Q? Yeah, Q. The Q brought him into this trial where they were trying humanity.
3: Mm? Yeah.
2: And they had all these absolute cretins in the, in the audience, and so yeah, you know, so on
3: the stream when Picard was
2: on trial. Yep. Well, so Picard did say something intelligent, and they're all yeah, thumbs up, and then all of a sudden, Q'd say something, and it, it, that's that's what we're 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 degenerating into. Or something comes up there, and all these idiots with nothing else to do all day long are tweeting stuff they don't know anything about. I mean, does anybody well, the other
3: thing is that nobody does an examination. It, it's spontaneous. As soon as, yeah. uh, as soon as the balloon was, uh, as soon as we knew that the balloon was over Montana, you heard a cry of shoot it down, shoot it down, without thinking through the consequences. Because, you know, I can think of a lot of legitimate reasons to shoot it down. I can also think of a lot of legitimate reasons to let it play out the way that it did. <laughs> including as you mentioned that now we can retrieve it and we can you know, kind of reverse engineer it to see what was there we also have the ability apparently to jam some of the, the spy techniques in there so that it wasn't as much it wasn't as damaging to our security as it might have otherwise been. I can also see uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, for example uh, in the scenario where as soon as across the US Canadian border a fighter jet went up, shot it down, and it landed on a farmer's house and killed the entire farmer family.
2: Yeah, but if you did that in North Dakota... You, mean, did, you
3: couldn't have retrieved any of the information from the balloon because it was completely destroyed when it hit the ground.
2: Yeah, but if you did it in North Dakota, he'd kill a bunch of Republicans.
3: <laughs> well, that's, that's, true. <laughs> that's I mean, true. I mean, if you
2: yeah. were, were that way on the other side, sure. Uh, when the ne- next time it goes across a blue a red state, I'm going to blast it.
3: That's right, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what should have been done, right? Because uh, depending on whether you're blue or red, it, you you want it shot down over a red or a blue state. Yeah, <laughs>
2: over over the over the county that gave you the least votes. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, you, you can almost get to that stage if you re, if you if you make this bizarre world. But I, uh, you know, you know, it's um, odd to me, Brennan? It's it actually is the reason why I, I like doing the show so much is we have so many people that come up with all kinds of great information I mean, different political sides of the fence but still they come on the show to to give people information and to come up with stuff and uh, no matter what side of the fence they're on but I find that th- this day and age and maybe it's always been like this I mean hell the the movie the man who shot Liberty Valance, you know when the, when, the, when the legend conflicts with the fact what facts print the legend I mean it's not print the legend. It's, you know, it's not like what humans have you know humans have changed all that much but I find this whole idea that everybody's convinced in this world they have all this information. and I, and I think we have way less information than we had when I was thirty ish, you know when you we had okay. weekly news magazines to this day, I mean, maybe it's around somewhere. I mean Luke could probably find it for me, but I don't I have yet to read yet to read a ten twelve page article with all the maps of Ukraine and all the lists of all the equipment people have like you used to get in us news or or, or time or Newsweek. I mean, everybody develops an opinion on such a small piece of information just because they read it somewhere or they, they saw it on a newscast and a person that they believe. I mean, they had a guy on, uh, of course, I go over to Audrey's and flip on the TV and what he supposed is on Fox News. Uh, that's another story. And, uh, of course, they got this, this old white guy on there in some show. You know, like the guy with some central casting, like pounding the table, we well, got to shoot this thing down. Like, where did they get this guy? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, how many times have you been somewhere you don't, you know, hit, hit the library as much maybe as I might because, you, you know, you're married and you're got a place in Michigan, but, I mean, how many times you want to say this, this guy was guilty? And if ever you want to just you turn around and say, gee, you must have been on the jury. Well, no, why, <laughs> why would you say that? Well, because the jury was there for a month. Getting information, seeing films, seeing videos, what, reading all this information, and they came to this conclusion, and you came to the totally opposite. You must have been on the on the jury to get. Do you have the you know? Do you have all the information that they had? Well, no. I just know he was guilty. Well, do you? I mean, do you really? I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, how do you how do you know that? How clairvoyant are you? I mean, it, it's like it's it's stunning how little. I mean, you and I are sitting there going. I don't really know if we did the right thing or not when we shot this thing down, when we, or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know if it was a chance of going up there with a machine gun and, and putting enough holes in the thing that it sunk and landed in uh, soft land. I don't know if that was possible. I have no idea, which is what, which is what I will say to people, and you seem to be doing the same thing. Everybody else seems to have it all figured out. How, how do they do that?
3: Well, the other thing is that it's immediate that we know that you know, some of the people you're talking about know what the right solution is and they advocate that without getting more facts. Yeah, and I think that's part of what you're saying. And you know, there's there's a difference when when I'm working with people in my in my lands area. There's a difference between the truth and what's true. The truth is objectively verifiable. What's true is what I believe. So if somebody says, well, it's true, well, it's true because I believe yeah. that the facts that I rely upon lead me to believe that this is the answer. The truth is I have to taken all the evidence like you were just talking about at the trial, and, and the person says, well, he's guilty, but without being on the trial, you don't know if there was any other evidence submitted to say that he wasn't guilty.
2: Yeah, yeah, everybody's convinced they've, they've got it all figured out. I mean, it's a... Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. Plus the news, I mean, I don't... I'm surprised when like when, when Paul has these... And actually, you know, I asked this question to one of my buddies. I think he met these guys who were, that were on the Fed when the Fed actually used to come to work. And there's a shot, huh? And uh, I said, "Why, you know, how do you guys look at these numbers when they're no good? And the answer was, it actually made some sense. Uh, I didn't like it, but it made some sense. It's not the job of the Fed to convene once a month Sit there and take pot shots at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and say these numbers are all wrong. That's yeah. another. That's another arm of government. We just take them at, at face value. And I said, well, if the face value is so obviously screwed up, doesn't matter. I mean, we're not we're not there to to tell to send a memo back to the BLS zone you guys are all, all full of crap.
3: Well, and that also goes to the the, you know, the discussion about what's the Fed's policy and what is the Fed's role if the Fed met once a month and try to review all the numbers to, to verify, to do an audit of all the numbers from all the various sources that they're taking in, they could never reach a decision. So the assumption always has to be that we're taking this information that's provided to us as true and correct. And based on this information and based with our policy structure and based with our analysis, that is what we're supposed to do rather than you know, audit everything every month. There's just too much information. So you have to start from the premise that the information is correct. If it seems odd, then, you know, the next month ask for a correction or something. But otherwise, it just becomes unworkable and absolutely nothing will get done. Um,
2: but then again, Brandon, we got a dash, but garbage in, garbage out, right?
3: That's right. That's the old uh, <laughs> computer line.
2: Yeah. So anyway, take care of yourself, bud. Thank you. SB Future's up four. if he's up 40 We're trying to come back here a little bit. We were down yesterday. Be
1: right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know.
0: 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com CognosHR, Innovation in Human Resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona.
2: Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. Hello, back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up three seventy-five. We were up last night, then we were unchanged, and then we're back up this morning. Uh, Nasdaq up thirty-eight twenty-five. We got one. Let me check this out while I'm looking at it. We had a big, big profit out of BP. Imagine that. Uh, and it's up $1.48, so not huge. It's trading thirty-six thirty-two, so up, but not. Uh, if Chairman Powell speaking today, we have the Dow's actually down sixteen bucks. Let me look and see what the culprit is there. Uh Dow's down twenty-eight cents. I don't I don't see where that's coming from. Microsoft's up two twenty-two. Uh so it looks like most of the stocks in the Dow are actually green here in pre-market. So I don't know why the futures are down, but only down a little bit. Over in Europe we've got the DAX down seven, call that flat. Footsie up 44.6%. Kekaron up six, call that flat. So slightly the upside, but uh but but muted muted over there. Over in uh, Asia we got Nikkei down eight, call that flat. Hang Seng up 76 every now and two days in a row, it's point three percent. Shanghai up nine point three percent. So the uh, Chinese markets are not exactly all bent out of shape about their their alleged weather balloon going down. ten uh, year bond unchanged before the speech. Uh, the bond up three basis points two thirty one. Japan unchanged at point five zero. So everybody's unchanged. What do they expect this dude to say? I mean I don't know. He just talked last week for God's sake. Oil up a buck eighteen, seventy five twenty nine, rent up a buck nine eighty two zero eight. but oil still at a very uh, not very low, but pretty low levels here. Natural gas down a penny, 244. Our bob up five cents, however, 242. We've got gold, which had been getting clobbered. It's up 450, 1884, so trying to get back over 1900. We'll see if it does. Silver up four cents, 22.28. Copper unchanged, 403. As somebody had a big uh, expose yesterday about, there's not enough copper in the world. It must be long FCX or something trying to talk it up. Uh, ah, nobody would ever do that, would they? Bitcoin down 11 bucks, but right steady here at 22,992. Call it 23,000. And we have the, the dollar, which has been fairly uh, volatile, is actually down a little bit today. It, and, uh, I'm sorry, it, it, it's up a little bit today. It has been down. The, the pound is 107. And the, uh, I'm sorry, the euro is 107. The pound is 119. So it actually is, the dollar has had a pretty serious run-up. And now it's uh, easing back just a hair. Uh, Andrew, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports?
5: All right. It is uh, 636, about to be 637 here in Chicago. Uh, Starting off with sports, last night with basketball, the Bulls won over the Clippers, 128-104. And uh, tonight, the Bulls will be playing the Grizzlies at 7 p.m. Chicago time. And the Suns are going to be playing the Mets at 6.30 Chicago time. Uh, Last night in hockey, the Coyotes won over the Wild, 3-2. Now for Chicago weather, it is currently 43 degrees, mostly cloudy, and it's going to have a high of just 45 today. Over in Phoenix, also the same at 43 degrees. They're going to have clear skies and going to go up to about 68 degrees today, so a little bit better there. Uh, and finally, for Chicago traffic, no major accidents to report. Uh, traffic is in the red and building pretty heavily on all major uh, inbound expressways. But other than that, no accidents to report. So that's all I got.
2: Do we have uh, Do we have, Mr. Joel? You sure do,
5: Chief. How are
3: you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. So, hey, uh, what is the story with the... Big Ten, where they have a team that's number one and nobody else in the top twenty-five. How did that? How did that ever happen? Well, Indiana's got to uh, be good.
3: We, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, with uh, with Batty Ice, and uh, Indiana's not too bad.
4: Indiana's not in the top twenty-five.
3: They
2: must be now because they. I'm going to say they must be now. I've actually watched yeah. them a couple times. They're pretty good. I like this Texas team, though. I mean, they look pretty. They look pretty tough.
4: Straight to the top. Uh, with Purdue. They got that big man, Zach Eady, who's just seven four, three hundred 300 pounds, not an ounce of fat at him. Um, and then there's just a bunch of other teams beating up on each other. Uh, very unusual year the Big Ten. Uh, it's going to be real... I, I'll tell you right now, Michigan is firmly on the bubble. Uh, they're 13 and 10. They have eight games left, but... Uh, Two of those games are against Indiana. Two of those games are against Wisconsin. One of those games is against Michigan State. Another game against Illinois. Uh, now they've, they've uh, they put together a three-game winning streak to have Nebraska tomorrow. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's Purdue and the, and the rest of the crew. So but look at it this way. Like all those years when, you know, the Big Ten had so many teams in the top five, top ten, you know, top 20... Well, really didn't do much. and You know, it's the tournament. I mean, Michigan has made it to the Sweet 16 in the last six years in a row. Uh, but it's just, uh, you know how you talk about parity and, you know, just a couple at the top? Um, it's kind of the way it is in Big Ten basketball.
2: You know, a uh, team that I don't, you know, I'm not predicting them to be Final Four or anything, but a team that uh, since I watched them play and clobbered my Irish, and I, I have to watch them because my, one of my best buddies is a graduate I don't think anybody wants to play this Marquette team. They, they press the whole way, they they have nothing but energy, they got nothing but young guys. I think they're 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 a problem for anybody, I think. The Big East looks like they're pretty tough.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, it just everyone just it seems like it uh you know, once you get to one, two or three it just seems that uh, you know, yeah you, you just get you get knocked off. So yeah, I would love to see uh we are Marquette. Uh I don't think they won the tournament since uh, back in the seventies with uh, Al McGuire. Yeah. And uh, do you know the story? I'm not sure what year it was, but um, there was—I uh, think there was only 16 teams in the tournament at the time, and uh, I think uh, Marquette was uh, number one, and they didn't put them in the same—you know—in the home region. And uh, Al McGuire uh, refused to play in the tournament. I think they played in the NIT. I think uh, might have to double check some of the facts on that story. But they used used to make a. Seventies.
2: Well, there was there was a big deal for a long time that if you if you hosted one of the regionals, they would never give you the home place. I don't think Marquette hosted it, but uh, but I I know the the uh, when I was one of the years, I was uh, the Irish actually hosted one of the early rounds, and they. They put the team in like the West or somebody. They, you would never, you could never be in. But now, now if you're place hosts it, you can end, you can end up in that regional where you didn't used to be able to. I, these rules change all the time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep track. What do you make of uh, the kind of, the, I won't say the, the volatility in the market and the bounce back of these big fang stocks? And I tell you, Joel, I got a, a lot of people I talk to, and you know, especially in January, where people are reviewing the whole year, there isn't a person. Who owns that? Like this Meta or any of these stocks that were basically totally getting their ass kicked and they lost like all this money and now they have bounced back some 20, 40 percent. There isn't one person that says, "Boy, I'm glad I've got back this far. I need to protect myself." Or anything. They all, they all think these things are going to the moon again, and <clears throat> the Fed's going to be down to two percent, and it's going to be like uh, we're going to party like 1929 again. I mean, what the, the mentality is really incredible. All these. All of a sudden, all the stock has to do is start going up. People don't even ask what it is. They call and want to buy it. And what is this? This is a uh, retail and
4: well, sp- um, yeah, wow, that's a tough mentality. I, I, I wish I could be in that camp. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of these stocks have rebounded. I mean, if you would have been, you know, very patient and uh, with the January effect and you know, sold the losers and bought the winners. It was, you know, uh, very positive. It's rolled into February. Uh, You know, without commenting on any, like, individual stocks and just, you know, how I like to, you know, prefer to follow the S&P 500 index, uh, we are at a very critical juncture here. Uh, We've had a, you know, 8% gain in, uh, in January. Um, we have gotten back up to the levels where we peaked in December and we, or September and we came off hard. We got back up there in December and we came off hard. And, and both of those catalysts for those declines was, uh, hawkish talk from the Fed. Um, now at the last Fed meeting, you know, he used the disinflation word. Um, he speaks today. Uh, I think the market is hanging in here. And I think if you, you know, you know how always, you know, in order to keep going higher, you have to get to a resistance level, then you have to form higher support. And right now, you know, unless unless Paul knocks us off uh, the keister, you know, going back to, you know, more hawkish talk, it looks like we're building another base here in the lower four, 4,100s. But uh, very, the level that we hit last week, you can look, uh, you know, you can go and look at your charts. Very important. Identifiable resistance, and now the question is: Is going to, you know, the the mar the market, you know, find an area of support here and take out that level of resistance? As far as these things going back to all time highs, I look at the prices of some of these stocks, and I don't think they're ever going back to all time highs. So um, that that that's my perspective on the recent rally.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in the I'm sort of in the same place, but I, I think the. The Fed. I mean, when you talk about credibility, in my in my opinion, it's not like I don't like the people. The, the, they have none, and then the. Uh, I mean, every, everyone is convinced. Going back to two thousand and eighteen, when Trump was in office, and you know, basically dragged him to the White House and said, "What the hell are you doing?" Everybody's convinced that if these inflation numbers, even if the numbers are, are lousy, I mean, in terms of the the uh, way they're way they're put together, if they come down to that that two percent number or two, three, even 3%, that these guys are going to back off and maybe even go the other way. And if the market goes down, or we go into any kind of recession, or if the the Congress passes another spending bill, these guys are going to pour money back into the system. And they're absolutely convinced because they've done it two or three times. And leopards don't change their spots, as my mother used to say. And, it, and I think that those people may actually <laughs> may, might actually be right, that they're not going to let... You know, if, if we can buy our way out of a recession by just pouring money into it, like we did during COVID. I mean, anybody who thinks we didn't have a, a recession when we shut the place down, I mean, for God's sake, how do you define recession? I mean, whatever. Anyway, Joel, it's, it's kind of where we're at. What, what, uh.
4: No, you make a couple, you make a couple good points there. And I, I think that the Fed, um, may have started raising interest rates in 2020 if it wasn't for the pandemic. Um, I think we're just coming to, you know, a, a level of equalization, you know, kind of
3: stabilization in rates. Um, I don't think it was good to have rates that low.
4: I don't think it's obviously, you know, it c- continue to raise rates, uh, does help some investors. Uh, but I think that that is just an overly optimistic view, uh, that inflation is going to come down to 2% and the Fed's going to uh, put
3: on the stick it again. Well, I, mean, I
2: think that's an overly uh, optimistic I, view of the market. Well, I mean, I've got a dash here, but I mean, I'll, I'll sum up my thoughts okay. in one. But they are—they're convinced that the car—the car going from twenty-five to forty thousand was bad. As long as we don't let it to go to forty-one, we're going to let—we're going to let the forty number stand. And I—I I don't think most of society is ready for that. But that—that that I think is where they're at.
3: To be continued. To be
2: change. continued, buddy. To Take be care be of yourself. SB futures up 275. Nasdaq futures up 40. Be right back. Kenny Polkary.
7: 3456 that's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com that's myhomesourcerealty.com
6: interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs traders executives and the everyday business person consider advertising on stocks and jocks with a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Right here.
2: Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Welcome back, to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom out and on the board. SP Futures up three. Nancy Futures up thirty-seven. Trying to bounce back here yesterday, off of uh, or today after a, a little bit of a down move yesterday. Do we have Mr. Kenny? We do. Um. So I, 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 think that if I was the president, I would have found a county in North Dakota that voted like ninety percent against me, and that's where I would have shut it down.
4: <laughs> what a great. <laughs> I hear you. I just don't understand why they didn't shoot it down when it came over the Aleutian Islands. I don't understand why they didn't shoot it down when it was over the prairie in Montana. What were they going to kill? A cow? I mean, if it even hit a cow? Because where it was over the prairie in Montana, there's nothing there except land and steel. And Republicans. And
2: Republicans. And Republicans, right. And Republicans.
4: Well, and Republicans, right. <laughs> right. The Republicans wanted to shoot it down. I'm actually surprised I don't, didn't get a guy from Canada to shoot it down.
2: I don't think I don't think any Republican wanted to be shut it down over his head.
4: Well, I'm not su- I'm not so sure that. Well, uh, you know, uh, we can speculate, but there's a lot of there's a million people that live in the state of Montana. It's a really big state, right?
2: Do you remember? I'm not going to accuse you of being an old fart. Do you remember the angst and the uh, the original what they call it the the original space station? yeah when that thing came down uh
4: i don't remember what i uh, know i don't remember
7: again.
2: the way what was the name of the damn thing it was uh i don't know if they called it the space station it was something we, we did i don't know if the russians helped us whoever it is we had the thing but it was in somewhat of a low orbit yeah. something went wrong and the thing was decaying and the thing was huge and it was it was decaying yeah, in orbit
4: that, uh, the angst that was around it
2: yeah, well, the angst was, "Where's the thing going to land? What if What if it lands over well, New York?" No, no, I
4: understand that was the angst. I just don't remember it.
2: Well, it ended up? Right? Well, yeah, what ended up? Uh, I think landed in the Australian outback or something. Mm-hmm. It might have might have killed an aborigine or, or a kangaroo or something, but nobody cared. But everybody was all convinced it was going to land. Like God, what if it lands on Chicago? What are we going to do? But the thing was big. Right. Yeah. You know, anyway, so I but just, this was
4: had no chance of landing on Chicago. Though.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I guess I could say knock it down over North Dakota. I'm not in North Dakota. I'm just <laughs> Plus, I don't know if I like any of those guys anyway. You know, they're all you know they're they're all right wing. I <laughs> whatever. I just uh, you know, I, it, it is so bizarre to me that everybody has. I would think, Kennedy, if you and I were in the, the the dual heads in the Oval Office, we would ask our guys to come in and say, what the hell is this thing, and why is this happening on my watch? What did I do to deserve this? First of all, as president, right? And, and, we, yeah. and, if, and you'd probably say, okay, what can we do? And some guy might say, look, we can jam the hell out of it, so it's not really getting anywhere. We can see what they're trying to find out. And, oh, by the way, the minute over water, we'll blast it and see what the thing does. I, I might say, go ahead and do that. I would, and Boy, the, the firestorm that would not, and I honestly don't know what the advice was, neither does anybody, but everybody's got an opinion.
4: Well, you know, I wonder if, if he told him to take it down on Wednesday, like he said, and they told him no, we're going to wait. I really wonder if that really happened. Right? Did he? Did he not say anything? Did they? Did you know? I, I don't. Know, it's, it's just confusing. It's frustrating, certainly for everybody. You know.
2: Well, it's it's it's. But you know what, Kenny, it, it plays right along. I mean, one of the one of the things I don't know. If you, I mean, I know you're you're a, you're a terrific guest on the show, but if you. I don't. I'm not going to sentence you to listening to it every day. But if you did, my 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 uh, theme. One of my springy themes is everything like depends on everything else. I really don't. I don't find any difference between the lack of information. I'm, we're just we're just slum citizens, though. I would hope that if the president is doing a good job, which I you know I, I doubt, but I don't I have no idea. I would hope that when he gathers both sides of the aisles, top guys together. And sits there and says, "Look, here's what happened. Here's what I did, and here's right. why." I, I would hope that if if it made sense, that both both sides would go away and say it made sense. But I, right. I, don't, you know, I don't see. But it's it's no different to me in in, in the terms of information gathering. I mean, I had Carl on last Friday, who's our expert on labor numbers. The idea that we found a million two people <laughs> <laughs> in an adjustment, not not people in the labor force, just people in general. It, it makes me think that every every report for the whole year was all BS, and I mean, right, well, and everybody I talked to was. Does
4: make you think that everything is is,
2: is BS? Well, and and, my, and even my you know my my nephews were somewhat liberal, which is fine. I mean, I, I mean I'm in, in the middle, so I kind of I'm kind of weirded out by both sides these days. But uh, they're like, what are you talking about? It's it's five hundred and seventeen thousand jobs. That's a good number. No matter no matter how you slice it, that's a good number. And I go, yeah, well, yeah, except. Somehow we found a million two people, and guess what? Half of them are employed. Is that that good or bad? Hey, it's 517,000 jobs. What's bad about that? I mean, there's nothing bad about the number, but all the other numbers kind of
4: make it suspect.
2: Yeah, but
4: but here's something else. Those 517,000 jobs included the striking rail workers that were out on strike that just came back to work. Those are not new jobs. The NFP report is supposed to be new jobs. The striking rail workers were not new jobs. So the number is not as I mean it's stronger than what the expectation was supposed to be, which is what one hundred ninety or two hundred. Yes, it is stronger than that, but it's not five hundred seventeen thousand. Because you get it so, uh, to me when you count striking the return of striking wheel walkers and two jobs, I think that's below.
2: Well, I, I I'm with you too, but the whole point is somehow or another we we didn't count a million two people, half of whom happened to be working. Both numbers. You have to take the right. two numbers together and take them together saying, how do, how do I believe the November numbers? I mean, every, every month, as Carl was saying, every month we average about 110,000 hundred and ten, hundred and forty thousand 140,000 new people entering the labor force. And, and it was like yeah. that like all year long. And all of a sudden we drop basically another 100,000 a month <laughs> on the whole year. Well, does that mean every single number along the way was BS? It sounds like it.
4: Yeah. Right. Well, that's what it, that's what it sounds like, and that's what you're left to that's what
2: you left to think, right? That it was all baloney. Or you I mean? But I understand, picking first of all, Kenny. You and I, I think, will 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 question stuff, but we also know I'm going to say you'll agree with me. I'm not leading the witness here. That we wouldn't want that job. Right. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I guess I could I could handle the establishment part of it, where I'm going to call you know Kenny Polkary Inc. and say. When you're 58 restaurants, how many people did you have employed last month versus the month before? I guess I can make that phone call. But trying to find right. people at home, finding out if, if you're working or your wife is working or something, I mean, how the hell do you do that in this day and age?
4: Well, I mean, uh, how do you do that and how do you really find out, because there came up in a conversation the other day, is that there are people that have multiple jobs, right? You have a full-time job, but then you might be doing some big economy on the side. Right, you're taking your expertise. Like I got a guy that messages my website. The guy's got a full time job working at a tech firm, but on the side, in this gig economy, this guy makes more money under the table, or however you want to you know, under the table or not, however you want to say it. In the gig economy, is he reporting that? Is he telling everyone he's working two jobs or is he just working one job? Right? And what does that really say about the state of the economy when people are working multiple jobs just to stay ahead of inflation?
2: Um I'm gonna I'm gonna try and split this up. And I'm not for the purpose of the listeners, not not for you, because I know you know all this. Uh, first of all, if if the job is working for you for cash, he's not being counted. Okay. He's not being counted. Okay.
5: Right.
2: Okay, but if if he's not working for you, if he's working for Wendy's, then he's being counted twice because he has two jobs, even though he's one person. Uh, But but also if you if it's not Kenny Polcarey individual slipping the guy cash, like maybe not saying I would ever do such a thing, but if somebody shoveled the snow, I might give him twenty bucks. Okay, but if it's if it's Tom Howe uh, Apartment Inc. and I want to deduct that twenty bucks and I pay him with a check, then if it's over six hundred hours, I better give him a ten ninety nine, or I can't deduct it. Right. Right. So right. there's all kinds of ways to get around this. But now if I give him a ten ninety nine. And that, and that that's going to land on the government's desk next January, so that will be an adjustment. Saying, wait a minute, Joe the snow shoveler here, all of a sudden must have had something going on because, by the way, we're getting a ten ninety nine saying the guy made ten grand last year shoveling snow. So right. and, So so there's all kinds of when you when you ask a question like that. I mean, I, you know this, but the, the answer is could he be counted? Maybe or not or this or the other. I mean, it depends on how you go about it, right? But I'm going to say, Kenny, that there are less and less people. When I, when I when I was growing up, I mean, uh, it's not like people. You're right. The computer guy does that. The guy who shovels the snow in the neighborhood does that. But I'm going to say there's less and less people that are that are that work during the week at a regular job and go paint houses on the weekend and get cash than there ever used to be. Because people people. No,
4: but you don't have to do that. You can do that though in the gig economy. Right, right but economy. I'm saying,
2: but but I, people I, act like I, people I, never I, did this I, before. I, at home? What? So people act like they. Like people, I'm, I'm going to say that my, my guys that tell me, I mean, and you, you tell me, because all this construction is going on in Florida with all the hurricane. The, the people yeah. I have are clients that actually run businesses like that, say if a guy comes and works on a Saturday and it's overtime and you pay him cash, he's the happiest man on earth. But there's no way on earth, there's no way on earth you can pay somebody cash every day now because they can't buy a house, they can't no. get a credit card. So I think that's actually way less, you know, on a second job on a weekend – Doing somebody's taxes for a hundred bucks, yeah, but I think it's way less prevalent than it used to be, Kenny.
4: Well, but I think that that goes that speaks exactly to why Congress wants to start to look at everyone's Venmo, right? Because it, if I pay this guy in Venmo, um, you know, then at the end of the year he's going to have to, uh, you know, he's going to have to show the income that he earned on Venmo, which is why they're going after all the small guys, make you know, five thousand or eight thousand dollars extra. On uh, a gig economy just to help them survive, but yet the government wants to come and say, no, 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 you owe us, you know, 20% of that or whatever the number is.
2: Well, if we, if we as a citizens let that happen, we deserve whatever we get. The well, idea, I agree.
4: I mean, I mean,
2: the idea that if I bet you 20 bucks on the Super Bowl, somebody <laughs> else has to know about it. I know young people don't know what I'm talking about, they're out of their mind. Nobody needs to know that except you and me.
4: Right. Agreed.
2: Uh, but, we're showing our age, bud. We're showing our age. Anyway, thank you very much. What do you think? Are uh, we going to rally up from here, or what? With Paul talking?
4: Yeah, I think the market's going to turn a little bit. you get J.J. speaking today at 12 o'clock. Neil O'Keskari already came out at 6.45 to get out in front of everyone, he's telling them that rates still need to go higher. The Fed's not complete. And then we get got Joe, Joe Biden speech tonight at 9 o'clock. Not that I think that's going to be a market mover. I think that's actually going to be more entertaining than anything else Because he's going to tell us what a great job he's doing. With. I think it's hysterical. Well, he's gonna talk,
2: he's gonna, all um, he's going to talk about is a five hundred seventeen
4: a little bit lower first, I think we test the 4,000 range, uh, the trend line again, uh, over the next couple of weeks, and then I think it finds some stability, but do so I think it takes right off? No, but I don't necessarily think it's, it's collapsing to s and 3000 or the Morgan family
2: thing. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll bet you 20 bucks that he mentions this fictional 517,000 jobs at least 10 times during a speech, will you take that bet?
4: Yep, I'll take that bet.
2: You'll take the other side?
4: I'll take the other side. I don't think he's going to make sure it ten, ten, ten
2: times. I think he's going to pay it. All right, right, what, all right. Wait, wait, wait. wait I'm too early. What's your over-under? Five? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Okay. I'll go with
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, buddy, thank you very much. We need to have a we need to have an adult beverage one of these days. Some some Someday, whenever. Right, uh, take care of you yourself. SP Futures up two. Nancy, if up 35. Be right back. Professor Helsnar.
7: stocks one dollar for equity options and one dollar minimum of trade
4: our clients at pti pro Direct can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general we trade every day we love this stuff
7: that's what i like most about pti ProDirect: cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders it's the best of both worlds
4: tell your friends that's
6: ptiprodirect.com ptiprodirect.com are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain
7: 3456, that's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com That's myhomesourcerealty.com Stocks Jocks, Stocks and Jocks You are out of control Right here, right now Right here,
4: right now
3: something happening
2: here. Well, my PlayStation jacks Tom I'm, I'm out Andrew on the board SP futures up 350 as futures up 41. Do we have the professor? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Pretty good. How are you? It's a uh, it's actually uh, the weather's for February very nice here in Chicago. It'll be 40 some today, so not horrible and uh, don't have to worry about the uh, Andrew complaining how cold it is in the morning when he comes in and all those kinds of things. So, what do you make all that? You what do you guys? You guys were Fifty-ish last week, weren't you in New York? And then, and then you got down to zero, and then you're back up again, right? <laughs>
4: yeah, it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure.
2: Well, you know, you, it's always the same same temperature in the subway, right?
4: <laughs> well, uh, I suppose so. I mean, it's a little hotter when it's packed.
2: Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, you know, one one difference for those of uh, Chicago and other places in in, in Chicago, and if it's hot, if it's 95 out. And you duck down to the subway. It's usually a lot cooler. In New York, it's exactly the opposite. It's even hotter on the subway platform, which is because the <laughs> what's well, because the trains because of the air conditioning they just belch all the hot air out on the platform. Yeah, it's uh anyway. Yeah. So what? Uh, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the, in the market and the and the uh, the numbers the the employment numbers last week. We have the, the Fed speaking uh, chairman speaking today. Uh, I also want to get uh, kind of a deep dive. I don't know. Maybe you can uh, um, talk about. There's all well. There's all kinds of different. You know, when I say there's difference, there's all kind. If you're going to take, I'm going to take economics. Sort of like saying I'm going to take medicine. Well, what kind of medicine? Internal medicine. You going to learn how to operate on hands or feet or what are you doing? There's there's a million different sub disciplines. You know, probably more in medicine than there are in economics. But um, what the if you were to design kind of a uh, a class for somebody who uh, I was having this discussion with my nephew the other day and we have it with Kevin all the time um, if you were doing say a, a junior college setting and somebody you know was say say a guy or a lady working in a warehouse they've had high school degree for whatever reason they didn't go on and all of a sudden they want to do better at their job and they're taking some you know classes in uh, maybe supply chain management maybe in uh, how to how to you know how to program machines. In other words, they're, they're working their way up on, on the on the blue collar side, and to the point where hey, I want to be maybe in management or something. So I would like to know. Plus, I'd like to know what people. If I were listening to Stacks and jacks, I want to know what this idiot guy chief is talking about once in a while. What what economics courses would you suggest somebody just for somebody who could get an idea of what all these numbers mean and what uh, at, at that base level. Just so they have an idea when they go into you know, society, and they know what all the numbers are, and see the reports. It's sort of like accounting. If at some point you're working for a business, you got to know how to read the income statement, right? If you're going to be a manager. So, I mean, what? How would you suggest somebody get started, even on their own learning? Are there a couple of books? I mean, I know you've written some that are at, at the level it takes somebody. I'm not going to say economics for dummies, but sort of from that level up. Do you know? I mean, how would how would you go about it?
4: Well. In the, at the university level, at the junior college level, um, honestly, I'm not a fan of how economics is taught, either in macro or micro. I'm just not a fan of it. I mean, I read I read these textbooks, and I think they have the supply thing messed up. You know, it's not the it's not the marginal cost curve from the minimum point of a parabola and upward. That, that to me is not the supply curve. So I think turning into a microeconomics class and a macroeconomics class, a lot of times those classes are taught by a lot of times they're taught by people who are either been doing it for thirty years and they don't have a passion for it anymore, or they're taught by new people who don't really understand it yet. Like me, when I first got on my PhD program, I didn't understand macro. I just understand micro. I was a mathematician doing economics. And so I'm not sure the answer lies in the college classroom, to be honest. I'm just not sure it's there. I think these classes uh, overly complicate um, the topic. Um, and then the way they're taught at these large universities, where 500 students are sitting in a in a stadium with maybe clickers in their hand. And by the mid, mid-semester, half the guys have given their clickers to their classmates and The stadium's half full, and yet attendance is 100%. Um, I I just don't think the way it's taught. I mean, I look at these materials, uh, and I think the textbooks do a great job, but the materials don't teach it in a way I think that students need it. Um, For me, my journey began when I started questioning mainstream economics. And I'll tell you, I think uh, Milton Friedman's book's um, free to choose and um, what was it um, democracy and capitalism or capitalism yeah. and democracy
2: Something like those, you those know, little books yeah.
4: those, those books were the first step of my journey when I started flushing this higher level PhD, n-dimensional calculus differential equations time series uh, modeling um, I, I think all this stuff is useful um But yeah, I started reading Friedman, and then that led me into uh, Mises. And Mises is a little complicated, but uh, that led me to Rothbard. And I love Rothbard. Rothbard, when you read Rothbard, you don't have to ask yourself, all right, what did he really mean? He just comes out and says it. He doesn't play games. You know, a lot of these economists in these textbooks will kind of wiggle around the truth and Rothbard just comes out and says, and I think Rockbard is reachable to everybody. I mean, I think his uh, his uh, reinterpretation of Mises' um, treat was uh, treatise is awesome. Um, so that's what I would do. I'd read. I would read a little of the uh, popular books by uh, Friedman, and then I would uh, maybe read the Road to Hayek. I mean, the Road of serpent by Hayek. And then I would uh, probably dabble with some uh, Rothbard. If I was telling that if people, um, if, I was, if I was giving them advice on where to start, that's where I'd, I'd uh, point them
2: to. Yeah, some of the stuff is, uh, I actually, uh, when you talk about people learning that way, I guess maybe I was uh, very fortunate that I never had a class like that in economics. I mean, I, yeah. at Notre Dame, they were all 25, 30 people, and you took, uh, special one, yeah. Answer. They
4: state like Washington State University. When I was a PhD candidate, there are 180 people in um, principles of micro and macro, and the classrooms are even bigger at, at different universities. So they get pretty massive. At aT State University, some of the freshman classes were 100 people, and my students would tell me that their classmates just give them their clicker and they click it for them. And they, the all
2: clicker. Right, is right, 08, all all right. I'm going to uh, a
4: large group of students you know into the discussion and and hold them accountable for being there.
2: All right, well, um, for somebody who's a total luddite, what the hell is a clicker?
4: A clicker is a handheld device that I've never used in my classes. Uh, fortunately our business classes were small at ANG, but some of the classes were a little larger for the freshmen. And uh because a professor can't know everybody's name in those large settings, students are given these clickers and they're the way they can answer questions. That the professor Mike pose during class. But a lot of the students I interviewed used to my office, um, off the cuff, um, off the record, would say, that, yeah, they'll, they'll give their clicker to their classmate, and their classmate will have like three or four of them, and they'll click it for
2: them. Andrew, do you have any idea what he's so talking they, about? I do not. I, I can't. We, we had a class it was like 25, 30 people. The only class that was yeah. big at Notre Dame was, was uh, freshman chemistry, where they tried to weed people out of the pre-med program. They, they had that one, like a couple hundred people in that class. All, the rest, all my economics classes oh, you, were...
4: You, you get a class of 180 people, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, half the kids in there are just, like, sleeping. And they're really only there because they think their attendance matters.
2: Well, the only class I had at University so, of Chicago... I, I, think that
4: that, I think it's a poor state of... I mean, I think the education system is so messed up, it's unreal.
2: Well, at the University of Chicago, it was almost like two different worlds, you know, because on campus... Where, where the business school used to be and then there was the 190 program downtown. Um, <clears throat> I took two classes downtown because I got a, a break on tuition. I actually graduated early and I, I think I took the two classes downtown for a total of like 600 bucks. So I, I got I got away from spending a thousand on a regular quarter because then I took four twice and was able to graduate early but that, that's not the story but the classes downtown were actually like you're talking about a hundred and some people. Because they yeah. were essentially the size of two classes on campus and <clears throat> God hell you know, I, I, I hated them God it was awful they were yeah. awful. Oh
4: well, I, I hated teaching them I honestly did that's one of the reason why I went to Westminster because I wanted to I want to reignite my my uh, passion for teaching and I, I don't want to teach in large sections.
2: Well try take advanced accounting in a room where a guy talks from seven to ten and if it's ten to ten to ten, he starts a new subject and the place is isn't heated. And it's the summertime, or it's not air conditioned. It's the summertime, and I'm sitting there. And I'm dying. I "What am I doing? I don't even like accounting." What <laughs> <laughs> was the last accounting class I ever took? I mean, I just said I was going to be an accounting concentrate, and I go, "Not after this. I'm out of here." And uh, but well, you have you ever
4: have you ever seen uh, cocktails with Tom Cruise?
2: Piece, bits and pieces.
4: Yeah, there's a, there's a scene where he's in the business school. I think at NYU, and his professor is telling everybody how horribly they did on their you know, business plan. And Tom Cruise, uh, tells a classmate, cause she's getting excoriated by him. This is before I guess FERPA, but she's getting ripped by him left and right. And he tells her, don't worry about it. And the professor looks at me and goes, what's that Flanagan?" <laughs> <God>. <laughs> and he end up giving her a mess. I actually, those are the kind of students I like, right? I like those students that kind of speak out and, uh, give it to you, right? They give it right back to you. You know, I think they need to do it in a respectful way, but I, I wish all my students were like Flanagan.
2: Well, the, the, well there's uh, a huge difference between the, the business school and the economics school at Chicago, right? So the only the only class I took in the economics that had a bunch of people in it was Milton Friedman's class, right? And by the way, I have to... It was not a book like you just named. It, it, was, a, <laughs> it was actually a book like like... It wasn't even a book. It was a manuscript. And he... <laughs> he, he, he just got tired of <laughs> writing yeah technical he, manual yeah he just got he just got tired of writing it, so never finished the last chapter or two and said, Hell with it, but i'll use it anyway the, the class was a theory of theory of price, and next time I see you if I come to New york remind me i 'll either bring it to you and you can see it, or if you come here, i'll show it to you. It is the most incredibly <laughs> complex a, a bazillion different graphs you know things on everything i mean I, the, the guy was the guy was dropped that brilliant, he could talk about math, you and he could talk for like months if he if he was still alive. But, I mean, I'm sitting there going, what am I doing with this thing? But, but his class had maybe 110 people in it, right? And the people would ask him questions. You never ask the guy a question. Because if, if whatever he was doing was too complicated, you'd say, well, gee, I don't understand, like, that, that fourth derivative, <laughs> which I didn't know any of them. And, and he, he would say, okay, well, then you got to go this way. And then, he, then he'd do, like, five more calculations up there. And if you weren't confused before the question, you were totally lost. But the, the weird part was, I'm in this. I'm in the business school, right? And all you do want to do is take your 20 courses and get the hell out, right? Economic school, yeah. you were there forever. I mean, you you would order a class, and then they had a deal where if you started the class and you get to the midterm, and the midterm looked too tough, you could take an incomplete with no nothing on your on your grade, and you, they'd give you like half your tuition back or something. You could try again next time. So, oh, that's
4: a great business model.
2: Well, see, so he's got like 120 people in his class, and he gives everybody to take home. And of course, the Nat had told me Milton Friedman and Nat had that he would that there was two parts of the class. There was the first and the second. And I I well, I missed the first. He goes, "I oh, don't worry. second's totally separate." And he gives the final out, and he goes, "This is going to cover both both quarters." And I'm like, "I wasn't here the first quarter, anyway." So he gives you a take home, which was ridiculously simple yet very complicated. It was something like I was a New York Times ad uh, for something, and he goes, "Okay." In a, in a full stock and flow analysis, take this from top to bottom, what it's going to do to people, society at every level. I'm going, oops. Well, I turn that in. I show up for the final. Out of the 120 people in class, there's maybe 15 people there. Everybody else, <laughs> every, everybody else punted. And I'm sitting there going, this is just swell. There's 120 seats and there's 15 of us. And he's got the tests in the front, the take homes with this big red marker slashing through them. And all I kept thinking of, that one's mine. Would <laughs> he put the red marker through? <laughs> I ended up getting a C, but was so happy to get the hell out of there. But uh, that, so that, that that quarter, I got four A's and a C from my hero Milton Friedman. He gives me a C, a hook, as they used to say on the South Side. Uh, anyway, but I mean, I, I, they had a couple, they had a class. The one I did the most. I mean, I probably remember the most from hell. There was a, and we had we sat at a big like conference table with like ten or twelve people, and most of them were way older than me. One of the guys was remember. Uh, I don't know you were, if you were not in the investment industry for a long time. And when I first entered the business, when you went to look for modeling on options, there was a machine called the Check Weber. This is nineteen eighty-one. Well,
4: not the Matt Weber.
2: No, not the Matt Weber. The uh, but the, the weird part was it was one of these things people don't even remember this. All the power came from the mainframe, and, and and your and your, you know, the thing looked like a computer in front of you, but it wasn't really. What, what they used to call those. Uh, they were, it just was a was a station. With the calculation... Yeah, a terminal. Yeah, was a terminal. A dumb terminal. So if, if you sat there and got there at 6.30 and there was nobody else in the place, the thing would be pretty fast. As soon as somebody sat down next to you, it would, it would slow down. And when 20 people got on, the 20 of them that were there, the thing wouldn't even move. But, so there was a guy there. There was an outfit, a thing called Steve Schwartz. It was this big, fat guy with long, stringy hair. I know, He was in the class with me. And the guy had just invented this thing called the schwartz o which did all the calculations at the machine... Was the first option modeling machine that actually was fast enough for anybody to use, and it was amazingly complex. Where you could you could get the option models on there, uh, and it would tell you like how much an option was worth. You know, you put in the volatility and all the other stuff. Well, then you could you could k- click another button where it would go into some advanced mathematical mode, where instead of the volatility being 32, it would be 31.8 something something to like the fourth decimal place. It would take forever to. do it. Well, Steve Schwartz was in my class. And the guy ended up being a big inventor. I don't know, he he's dead now or what he is, but I mean that for the years and Then that was that was the well, anyway, this the, the the class was a a two some two quarter class the history of economic thought. And that we went from Middle Ages, how things were defined, agrarian revolutions, <laughs> all the way from the beginning. And hell, I think you would have loved it. I mean, it actually took yeah. it, took you from day one and and so you you understand stuff like how does China grow faster than we do? You know, people say, "Oh man, how can China grow by seven percent? We're growing by two percent." Well, if you miss the whole part that if, if you and I uh, both have a farm and we're next to each other, whether we get along or don't get along, turns out you're you're better at at, at uh, growing corn than I am, but I'm better at whatever milking cows or taking care of cows, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I say, "Hey, hey, hey, Hal, how about?" You take care of my corn, and I'll take care of your cows, and we have some kind of a deal where, you know, we just split the corn and split the milk. Well, that's that's not counted. That that's like China. Well, if we decide we don't like each other, and we both take the corn and the milk to town and then buy it from a third person, now it's all counted, right? It's not. It's no longer barter. Yeah. Because now it's in. Yeah. The, but it, it, people that throw these numbers around that don't understand where they all come from. That's why I see these numbers come from the government, and I go, what the hell are these things? I mean, I, I don't think there's a sense of what am I even looking at. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm spouting a number, but it's like, what's the number even mean? And where does it come from? And I, it should be obvious to everybody why China has a 7% growth plate because they're still taking care of their agrarian revolution, right? People are moving from the cities to the towns, or the towns, or yeah. the, from the towns to the cities. So, I mean, if you don't know this yeah. stuff... They're,
4: they, also get, they, got a, they also have massive... Uh, asset bubbles there too that oh, yeah. their central bank is creating. So, you know, the, I, I've read about and I've seen uh, pictures of their of their ghost cities that nobody lives in. They got a replica of Paris that nobody lives
2: Hell, in. How, so they not, how how they not have, that
4: they have incredible public works projects that are totally unproductive too. But they just they just add to the GDP of the, the province.
2: Okay, now but you you see that stuff. I see it. We've had other people come out. I mean, uh, I mean Russell's been over and seen the place. He's been to China a million times. How, how is it that they have not collapsed under that weight yet? How, do, how does, I mean, the people that, that did all these dollar-denominated loans, we've been talking about on the show now for five years, and, and Dan Janinas comes on and says a lot of those things are not performing, and you just don't hear about it, they're not in the news, blah, blah, blah. How, how does how does the anvil not fall? How, how, do, how is it that you do business and it's the same thing? It's like they're zombie cities. I mean, how, how, how does those companies not declare losses or go out of business I mean does it, I mean the government can't be printing enough money to hand it to me how, how do they how does it manage to not fall I guess is the question
4: well I think it's kind of like Japan you know if you remember back in the 1980s you know people were worried about Japan uh, taking over the world right there was all this talk of Japan being the next economic juggernaut but what has Japan done over the last 20 30 years they've kept interest rates low. And when you keep interest rates artificially low, and they never allow it to come up, all that financing is able to be um, uh, paid with the cash flows, I think, that companies get, and those cash flows are higher when the economy's, you know, grown a little faster, but those, and those cash flows are lower, but if the interest rates are held really low for a really long period of time, then I think... The companies that would have went out of business, or had to have liquidated, had to liquidate some of their assets to cover those debt payments, are able to do it. But I think over a long enough period of time, that 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 Jenga house, that that Jenga uh, model that you, you you and your kid constructed, eventually is only one block kind of holding the thing up, and that block eventually gets pulled. And I think with China, there's so many powerful, wealthy people um, invested in China that they kind of have to keep it, they're kind of keeping it going, too. I think the effort is multinational, because they all see the 1.3 billion Chinese consumer market. And so I think it's kind of a collective effort that holds china up well i think there's a big china, you know if you if you remember though remember though under the trump administration china would do what it would it peg its currency to the dollar so when the fed is being easy china's you, know, you easy. when the fed is being tight china's being tight because they're pegging i think it's kind of held up by the economic do, system
2: yeah but they've done that for 50 years it wasn't trump Pegging yeah. their, their stuff to the dollar. I think there's a little bit of a difference here. I do not too much of a detail here, but um, af- after the after the break, since we all we do is talk about this air balloon, I want you to help me walk through the bizarre, complicated relationship we do have with China. I mean, but that's an after the break kind of thing. The, the Japanese thing, I think, is somewhat is a little bit different in the sense that uh, they never. I mean, if you went out and bought. Uh, the, the banks and uh, one of the big differences, which which you know, between our banking system and J- Japan, and the one the one mistake we never made here, except I think for Fannie and Freddie preferred, which I think was good capital. Our banking system was never allowed to use stock in 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 companies as good collateral. Correct. Where in
4: But hasn't that kind of been loosened up a little bit because no. no. Uh, no. Stop for investment bank. Well, they they, banks. they
2: well they might be back. It's been clouded, but there's still. I don't think there's any way that uh, Chase can buy a hundred thousand shares of IBM and count that as good capital. Yeah, I don't think we. But in Japan, they can or could and do. And uh, so when the market, drops, I
4: think it happens. I think it happens indirectly when uh, big investors get uh, loans to buy. Well, All I, those loans are right. backed by the Federal Reserve, right? right? So I think it happens indirectly.
2: Right, but I mean, I mean in Europe, uh, when Dr. Jay and I were over there lecturing in 19... God, 1991, Al, the, the the German bank would be owning 80% of, like, a munitions company. I mean, that doesn't happen yeah. here. I mean, I, you don't... You don't know, not,
4: there's no direct... I don't think there's any direct... Right, but there, but, but,
2: there, but there, is in those, there is in those areas, and it's considered good capital. Yeah. But, so the, the Japanese... When the stock market went from 35000 remember whatever hell it was, down to... Where it get down to like four or five. I'm not sure. Banks had this huge deficit in, quote, equity, right? So they were, they were zombie banks, property loans, everything like that. But on a cash basis, they were okay. People were bringing in their deposits and getting, their, you know, checks, and they were giving out loans to, you know, for cars and stuff. On a day-to-day cash basis, they were in no danger of really going under, except that their equity was totally underwater, but they never sold any of this stuff. Now, granted... They had negative equity, but the government just said, "You're essentially a zombie bank. Just hang in there for the next 30 years. Eventually, the market will come back, or you'll make money on your day-to-day transactions, and keep nipping away at the other stuff until one day you're back together." I mean, that's essentially. I mean, that's what. But I mean, that's what the Fed always does here with the bigger banks, right? They never, they never make them yeah. liquidate. So, I mean, the Fed's job, in my mind, well, not in their mind, in my mind, but in their mind these days, is to preserve rich people's assets and to make sure the four biggest banks never go under. And the other people, if they go under, they go under. We'll deal with it. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, is, that, is that a very, I'll say, a very smart-ass south-side view of what they're actually doing? You know?
4: Well, I think it's it's actually what they're doing. I mean, can a little business who's struggling to when, when go into recession and business flows and they got to make their debt payment, the Fed doesn't come in and be the lender of their, lender blast resort for them, right? Yeah. just the lender of last resort for sort for, for the, the big international financial institutions and and the Wall Street investment banks
2: right so well, we had a guy here in a completely
4: I'll, I'll, skewed system
2: I'll, I'll try and bring this down to a, a, a normal level uh, we had we had a guy here usually if you're you know if, if you're a market maker and you buy a whole bunch of crap at 60 bucks and it goes to 30 and your account is debit they make you sell the stuff out at 30. Establish the negative equity and and come after you for the for you to bring in a check for the rest. You know whether it takes you years or whatever. I mean that's that's the deal. Even no matter how horse bleep a trade is to sell it at thirty, but there was one exception to this, and I won't name the name, but because everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about, and it's not Doctor J. Um, it was a uh, was a guy when I was a chairman of membership committee, and I was also chairman of the MTS, the modified. Well, this guy had a DPM, so he has this big deficit, and he also had spent a real lot of money buying Chicago and Northwestern bonds. And um, you know, we'll run over a minute or so here, Andrew, and we'll come back. Uh, and, we, and he had all these bonds that he paid 60 cents on a the dollar. They go down to like 10 cents on a dollar. You know, his company's going nowhere. So in the midst of the mess he had on the trading floor, he had this big mess with these. So a few of us, I didn't really design it, but I approved it. We said, okay, the clearing firm is willing to let this stuff ride. Okay, in other words, sort of like a zombie bank. So they took this huge deficit account and just moved it to the side. Okay? Because he had paid for, I mean, he had paid for most of it, but still, he he was deficit, I'm going to say a couple million bucks, and this clearing firm said, we'll just ride with it. And he, he put another half a million into a new account to where he could keep his DPM. And so we moved all the positions into the other place. Now, no other trader ever got this break, this large S, where... You know, you bought IBM at 100, where someday it got marked at 10, and you had to force it out at 10, and six weeks later it was 100 again, and if it, you just would have been somewhere else on the moon for three weeks, you'd have been okay. Nobody ever got that ability to do that except this guy. So guess what? The next year, it is a zombie account. Uh, Burlington Northern, Burling, the Chicago Burlington and Quincy, or somebody put together this conglomerate and, and essentially created the Burlington Northern, and they bought the Chicago Northwestern, Great Northern, and Northern Pacific, and they, these things got paid off at a hundred cents on the buck. So that account, wow. that zombie account, was the single most profitable account of anybody on the trading floor the next year because they didn't—they didn't make the guy sell the crap out at ten cents on the bar. And he came back and he yeah. got a hundred. So I mean, it's, it's well, think
4: about the damage that did to the guy that would have bought it at ten well, cents.
2: On yeah, the but the I mark. mean, but, but, and then
4: that guy smart enough to buy it at the bottom. Right then can ride it to the top, right? Well, but it, so
2: it, it kind of goes back to the, the housing crisis when people had yeah. 6.5% loans. All of a sudden, housing prices go down. People tried to get the 4% mo- loan, and even though you had never missed a payment at 6.5%, you couldn't get a mortgage at 4 because the house didn't appraise out. So all those people ended up having to move, and some new guy essentially got into their house at a price that the old guy could have stayed there and afforded. I mean, okay. it, that's... That makes no makes no sense. We do the It, stuff works, all. it, it
4: works both ways. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah. SP Futures down four and an S is up seven. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks.
7: Stocks, jocks stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks You are out of control right here,
2: right now Right here, right now. right now Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jocks I'm Tom Allen, Andrew on the board S&P Futures now down 5 Danza Futures up 5 We've been kind of wishy-washy all since last night uh, A lot of it has to do with the Fed chairman speaking today After last time he kind of let it his, his message was hawkish, but his delivery was dovish. So we're seeing wh- which one of those is going to change today, if any. Dow futures down 91, which is, well, the Dow has turned somewhat red here, except they got Microsoft up 3.5, so that's kind of leading, I don't see anything down more than a dollar other than Caterpillar, up, down a dollar 17. So uh, anyway, over in Europe, we have the DAX down 35.2%, the FTSE up 38.5% around unchanged. So we've got one up, one down, but not much going on there. I guess everybody's waiting for the big speech. Nikkei down 8, call that flat. we got the Hang Seng up 76, coming back from two days of uh, being down well over a uh, percent and a half. But still 21,298. Uh, Shanghai up 9.3%. We've got bonds uh, up three basis points now, 3.66. The Bund up 4, 3 point, I'm sorry, 2.32. Japan unchanged at this .50. hell uh, comment on that because they went from not being able to go up past 0.25 to 0.5 and it's gotten there like real quick so we're gonna I'll ask him if he thinks they're gonna let it go a little more we've got oil up 93 cents but still locked in the mid 70s 75.04 brent up 78 cents 81.77 natural gas up three cents 248 amazingly low levels compared to the ten dollars it was a year ago Bob up five cents 242 we've got gold down now down a dime it was up earlier 1879 silver down seven cents 2216 copper down a penny 401. We have uh, a way of review yesterday. That was down 34. SP and P down 25. Nasdaq down 119. So that was a full one percent. We've got Bitcoin down 43 bucks now 22,960, pretty steady. And we have the U.S. dollar up a little bit as the pound is down under 100. I'm sorry, the euros down under 107. And we've got the. Uh, British pound down under 120, was it 123, so the dollar's been pretty strong in the last week. Uh, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports, Andrew. All right,
5: it is 737 here in Chicago. Uh, starting off with sports, uh, last night the Bulls won over the Clippers, ending their game 128 to 104. And tonight the Bulls will be playing the Grizzlies at 7 p.m. And the Suns are going to be playing the Nets at 6.30 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, last night for hockey, the Coyotes won over the Wild, ending their game 3-2. Now for Chicago weather, it is currently 40 degrees, mostly cloudy, we are going to have a high of 45 today. Over in Phoenix, they're at 43, they have clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 68. Now finally for Chicago traffic, we have a whole lot in the red today. Uh, both inbound and outbound on all major expressways, expect pretty heavy delays. Um, there's an accident on the inbound Stevenson uh, just before Kedzie Avenue. There's an outbound or there, uh, an accident on the outbound uh, Edens right about near Montrose Avenue. Um, so there's a lot to look out for today. So expect some delays. I'd turn
2: back if I were you.
5: Yes. Yeah. Not a good one to be on the roads today.
2: That's the future is, uh futures We're sneaking down a little bit. So Hal, uh, I've, I've tried to... Uh, I don't know if you've read any of this stuff. It's crazy stuff, but I've tried to edu- edumacate myself, as they say in the South Side, and how we... When we were in a depression, we had our own problems uh, to a huge extent, of how we dealt with some of these, uh, I'll say, totalitarian regimes, like in Germany and, you know, even even uh, Italy a little bit, but certainly Russia, how we dealt with these people, and it, I, I look to see what's going on with this, this China situation, and I, I can't imagine... A time or a history when some the policy between two countries has been this conflicted, and uh, in the sense that you've got people, you know, if 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 my guy uh, Trump would have been in there, that thing would have been, you know, shot down before it anywhere got here. Or they would never have had the balls to do this. With Trump, I mean, this incredible diatribe by the right hating China, when in fact, you know, the left doesn't like him either. Uh, yet. If you listen to CNBC all day today, except for the Powell speech, you're going to have two or three guys, probably BlackRock among them, saying China is absolutely investable again now that COVID's coming out. You have nothing but U.S. money over there. You've got the same people, I'm going to guess, but I don't know for sure, that are saying we should have blasted this thing out of the sky and blah, 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 and they can't wait to take their kids or grandkids down to the Nike store and buy them some, some basketball shoes. I mean, I can't even – if you were some little gnome, which you're not – Sitting on some habitable p- planet, you know, ten light years from here, listening to the TV and radio here, what would you possibly think? How moronic are we? We can't. We don't know whether we're on foot or horseback with these Chinese people. We got investments there. We got people that can't wait to get you to to put in a mutual fund over there that they're running, and yet we can't wait to blast their stuff out of the air. I mean, and, and oh by the way, we can't talk about nasty about it, how we need Trump back because he's gonna he's gonna screw this guy and he's gonna shoot at him and this and thing. What are we doing, Hal? I, I can't even. To me, it's it's like something out of the out of some fairy tale.
4: Yeah, it's a, it was an interesting week last week. That's for sure. Um, you know, the funny thing about that balloon is I don't think it can do. I don't think it can do anything different than a satellite that hovers over the United States. So to me, it it seems like you know China's just trying to focus and see how we react.
2: I think I'm with you. on that. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, they're just poking us to see how we're going to react to it, what Joe Biden is going to do. and I mean, I think if that Montana reporter hadn't spotted it in the uh, sky, I don't think it would have been a big story at all, and the administration wouldn't have admitted to it. They, w- they weren't going to admit to it until people could actually see it and take pictures of it shared on the Internet. Um, so it, it is odd. I mean, um, I, I actually think... I actually am thinking more and more that Trump was the guy that was used to uh, push us toward a tyranny. And the reason why I say that is our economic freedom has dropped precipitously in the last, since COVID started. We used to be like six, and now we're like, I don't know, in the 30s, according to the, uh, I I don't know the exact number we have a system where we're we're less and less free the state of New York is told that they have to hire all these people back but the governor kind of like fucks the courts and says no they got they gotta apply for the jobs back right so we have this system of tyranny and I think these investors in China I think the reason why they're so sold on China and so wanting China to succeed is because they have they have the ability to use AI on their population. Their population has to support this neo-mercantile system where they subsidize production in China. And that right there is a tax on Chinese. It's basically a gift to us. But it's tax on the Chinese. It's not really- and when the Chinese people feel when they feel like they're being attacked, I think what China does is they come out and they... They do a zero-COVID policy to remind them just who's in power.
2: What, you know, what, have you ever had... I've, I've had some discussions with some people just at, you know, I'll say parties. Uh, actually, I was at an economic club at Chicago function a long time ago. And I was standing there, and uh, this lady came by. And I started talking to her, and she was from the uh, Chinese consulate. And, you know, just out of the blue, she gives me her card. Well, 20 minutes later... Um, I was talking to this other person and they were talking about maybe a couple of the people that they supplied stuff to had moved to China and they were thinking about maybe they had to move over there too because that's where the, you know, that's where their customers had moved to. Didn't really want to. Anyway, I put kind of the two of them together, not because I, I mean, it wasn't like I'm a consultant or anything. I mean, it wasn't like I was, I just basically said, here, you take this card, I'll never use it, kind of thing and, and the lady yeah. was nice enough to call me up and said, oh yeah, I did talk to whatever the guy's name was or and uh, and this is what they want and it was the deal was that you, you know, they'd, they'd talk to you about your business and what you were trying to accomplish and who your customers were and they would kind of find a spot for you. If the guy you know, the guy's making, for instance if he's making pots and pans and you're selling the coating to the pots and pans, well here's where the pots and pans are being made and and if you want to sell the coatings, here's a factory, we'll, we'll find you a factory. But you essentially had to pay had to pay people along the chain. Y- your guys. Oh yeah. You know, to the yeah. point where even though you paid the, the, the people in the manufacturing facility way less, you were shoving money at the at the political largesse all along the way to the point where it probably was still cheaper than here, but not near as cheap. That's why China has a gazillion people that don't have any money, yet they have a quite a sizable amount of people that they're making more new millionaires in China by the month or they were before COVID than like any other country on earth. Because the people who were the sons and daughters of the, the people in the Chinese government were all these promoters for lack of a better term. Uh, so I mean you I mean you were paying dough, you know, you just 't paying thats but you weren't growing customers in the manufacturing area because they weren't making enough to ever buy your car or your pot uh, so I mean it was so it became this big cesspool but you know and but it's not like it's never happened I mean uh I mean here are the uh, you know there are companies that that paid the pinkertons to keep the union in line right I mean it was it's not like not like that hasn't been the but the weird part is but right now we have people they'll basically flip from a, from a segment to where we we should like bomb these guys to where, boy, you, you got to invest over there. It's where all the money's being made, I man. It's 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 almost like do they do they even listen to each other? <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I just well I think
4: I think what politicians do it and in, in their partners of the media during. I mean you watch Fox News and it's as bad as anything on MSNBC in my opinion. I can't watch either of them.
2: Oh, got it off. I mean you yeah. just
4: watch it and just it, they, all they do is they they stoke division, division, division. They fan these flames. You know, like, for example, when Rachel Maddow or uh, Laura Ingram talk about some peer-reviewed research, right? I don't tweet what they say about the peer re- peer-reviewed research. What I do is I try to find the research article that they're talking about, and I'll go I'll go read the article myself, and I'll go, well, that was kind of a misrepresentation. So what these media organizations and their partners in politics are doing is they're they're stoking division the they're stoking fear because the system they want is a totalitarian system and they, they consider us you me and the farmers in Iowa and the guys on the production lines and the stores they actually I think they actually think of us as necessary evils we have, we're their little consumers and we can be just so successful in China they have the same system right The Chinese people have to subsidize these Chinese corporations, these Chinese companies here, these Chinese-American joint ventures. They have to subsidize it. If they speak up too loudly, they just ram that COVID zero policy down their throat, and they just snuff them. So what they're telling the the people in China to do is you can have some success, but don't get any... uh, don't have any dreams of toppling us. We're going to... We're going we're to dial it up when you get a little too rambunctious, a little too um, revolutionary. We're going to dial up this pressure, and we're going to snuff you out. And I, and I think we there are people in the United States, there are people in Europe that want to export that system oh, to I, our I, country.
2: Without a doubt, there's people that think that um, uh, huge conglomerate businesses, multinational businesses should be running the world that governments. and, and that governments are I actually have an
4: article coming out on the Mises Wire today. And it's called the Price Gouging State. And it talks about how these, these people at the World Economic Forum, they're essentially just cartelists. They're monopolists, yeah. they're oligopolists, that they, they want to act as one firm. All these people want to act as one firm. And they, they say they want to save the planet. Oh, yeah. But that's just a cover.
5: Bull, bull. What
4: they're really doing is they're trying to snuff out the competitors. That's they don't a- want to have to compete, they don't want to have to worry about quality and price. They want to snuff out the competitors, and that's exactly what goes on in China. They just snuff out the competitors. Um,
2: so that's
4: what it's all about. I think it's going to be an interesting, interesting read.
2: Um, the we have a uh, uh, text here from our, our buddy Mike Murphy, who comes on on Friday. He's helped us out a lot with the Ukraine stuff and everything. Uh, I won't go into how long Mike and I have been friends, but uh, he, he, well, he says I might be a little naive about China. I don't know about that, but. Uh, is I think their long-term girl, goal is to dominate us in the world. Uh, by the way, I happen to agree with him, so I, I hope, if I'm naive, so is he. But it's <laughs> there's a shot back. But uh, but the question is, if somebody has that you know, world domination and we don't care if it takes three centuries to do it, how exactly, in an economic world, when everybody here, I mean, to go back to Lenin's line, you know, a capitalist will be happy to sell you the rope of which you intend to hang him with. But uh, I mean, how, how exactly do, you, you're, not, you're you, if, if Mike is right, and I think he is, uh, how exactly do you disentangle Apple where everybody's got to have their Apple from China? I mean, do, we're, we're, we're in way too, de- I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying if Mike is correct, and a lot of people think he is, and by the way, the, the you know this balloon and what they're trying to do with Taiwan—it's seemingly there's a real good chance that he is right. Uh, what the hell now? It's like you know. Uh, well, I, I, mean, what I do,
4: think. What I do think, we do? I think the lesson here. I think. I think lesson here is the Pharaoh and the uh, Joseph. It's biblical. I'm not. I'm not saying religious. I'm saying historical. I think the lesson here is what's going to happen with China. I think what the way we should handle China is we should do the opposite of what China's doing. We should be... Our goal should be maximum freedom. We should be unrestraining our economy because what the Chinese doing, they're actually replicating Mao's mistake. They're trying to lock in technology. They're going to lock in this technology of today, like Mao did. He, he locked in that technology. What we need to do is we need to embrace freedom, liberty, allow people to profit from the fruits their, their, from the Wait labor. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're,
2: you're not actually talking about somebody else being able to make a buck instead of you, are you?
4: Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm oh, saying Lord. let everybody... That, set everybody free. You just Set us free from the, the, the tentacles of government. You, you're set us so, free from these regulations and rules.
2: You sound like the guy who can't wait, can't wait to fart in church.
4: <laughs> I'm telling you right now, China, their leaders live in a constant state of fear do you think and they're locking down their population with this AI do you think're gonna snuff out China that they're gonna they're gonna smother themselves with their fear
2: do you, th- you think that the th- the, was it the four people that make all the baby formula in this country with their nose up the ass of government are dying to find five or six other people to compete
4: <laughs> well you know what we gonna just tell them, sorry dude. You don't get a you don't get a cartel. So how
2: yeah, so how exactly you, you
4: don't get these government protected monopolies. All right, so I, you're out of you're I, out you out of business. If you want that, go to China. That, and that's why people who make baby formula make baby formula.
2: And that's why people like Trump and Biden and Obama and Bush become president, and not you.
4: Exactly right, because they're the guardians of the system of cartelization. Oh, by
2: they're the, the way, guardians
4: of snuffing out the competitors for these international oligarchs.
2: By the way, I have, a, I have a, a great lesson for your class. If I could give a 30-minute tw- talk. I haven't, I haven't followed the whole thing, but people talk about, again, I'm a huge fan of George Stigler. I had to hit him for class twice. And yeah. he's a, a behavioral and a political economist, which is totally different from the Milton Friedman type. Uh, well, not different. They were best buddies. But, I mean, it's... And uh, he would talk about politics. And, you know, you would say that... You wouldn't say, because you're... I'm going to say too smart, but people would say, po- you know, politics should be run as a business. And George Stigler would say, it is exactly run like a business. It's just a different type of business that most people don't understand. I mean, it, they, they, they respond to, to, to their profit motive and the other stuff, just like everybody else. They just do it in a different it. They just do it in a different manner. Well, this guy, yep. the, the Chicago mayor thing here, is, uh, you know, the deal was, well, Laurie Lightfoot got elected. They, they went from, well, not a lot of people probably know this, but I don't know how many mayors or whatever cities in the world or, or country are like this, Hell, but anybody can run for mayor. So it's, it's no longer a Democrat-Republican thing like, like the president or a senator is. So anybody can run. So they'll have like 5, 10, 15, could be any number of people Run in his first election, and if nobody gets fifty percent, which nobody's going to, and there's ninety bazillion people running, uh, then there's his runoff. So, but the, but there's money involved because you got you got to kind of pick and choose because the mayor, like the governor, like the president, like the senators, like all these buffoons in office, they have the incredible ability to essentially point one and two and three trillion dollars worth of money at certain people in the. In the in the economy, like their people, so those people are going to put them in office. It actually works very much like a business, just a little different than IBM. So this guy Paul Vallis, Now, and I'll be blunt with this; might as well be. Last time he runs, there's like five essentially old white guys running. <laughs> okay, out of the fifteen or twelve or whatever it was, Bill Daley's running. Who, by the way, was he was he was the cream of the crop, I think. Uh, I think he was actually a lot. Uh, more accomplished sometimes than his brother who was mayor because he was he's been in business he's been out he was you know in government but anyway I think he's a very bright guy so he runs but now one of the aldermen on the south side because he was pissed off at daily for taking a restaurant away from him at the at the O'Hara airport or something he runs against him so this guy Paul Vallis who's now running runs against him uh, and there was the, the former police chief who they threw out even though he was a good police chief so there's at least four maybe five, I'm going to say fairly capable white people running. Now there's all kinds. Of, then there's some black people running. There was no. I don't think there was a Hispanic kind of ticket. So Lori Lightfoot's running, and she has some. Then there's uh Tony preckwinkle but essentially there's two, maybe three black people. So Lori gets ninety thousand votes, or ninety-two out of a, out of a city of three million. Uh, just a whole hell of a lot. She's the number one vote getter. Tony Preckwinkle is number two like 85 and Daly I I think was somewhere in the 70s because the police chief and Vallis and this Joyce all took basically a chunk out of his behind or he would have been well over 70 and been one of the top two whether he'd have won the general election I have no idea I'm not clairvoyant in that regard so now Paul Vallis is running again so now he's the only white guy so now Tony, uh, Tony Preckwinkle's not running but Lori Lightfoot's running but now it's got some guy, black guy who's uh he's a consultant for the school board. So of course they're they're still paying the guy, but now he's running and they endorsed him. Now like one uh, African American alder person, lady, she's running. Well, she's gonna take three percent of the vote out of Lori's hide. And uh and some guy, Willie Wilson, has been giving out free gas to people on the south side. He's running. So all these and then Chewy Garcia uh, Hispanic, who's uh, took over one of the representative spots, so he's a rep, he's running. So now, Paul Vallis is now because he's essentially the only old white guy running, and, and he's and he's you know, a <laughs> decent guy. But he, he was ahead of the school board, and he's very, he's very accomplished. He's not like he's an idiot at all. Uh, but now the numbers are totally different than last time. So yeah. the, the economics of this are, one of my buddies you know, likes to think he's a mover and shaker. So he's going to put together a uh, you know, a little party for Vallis. It'd be like a, a bundler. So he says to me, oh, by the way, do you want to come? And I said, well, you know, how much is it? And he goes, it's 150 bucks. It'll be 20 people at my house. It's going to be, you know, an hour and a half, two hour old thing. There'll be some cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and he'll give a little speech, ask a few questions, introduce yourself and off you go. And I said, sure, I'm in for that. Well, then all of a sudden, now he's starting to pick up a lot of steam, Vallis. So now, wait a minute, he's, he's too busy now to come to anybody's house. So they're going to have a shtick out in Oakbrook or someplace. And I said, "Okay, how, how much is this? Because it's at a real restaurant." Well, now they want five hundred, but since you were on the list originally, you can get there for two fifty. Okay, and I'm second. Okay, poker's going up. Well, now last week he gets the endorsement of the Tribune. So now it's fairly obvious it's it's him and Lori. You know, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so now all of a sudden he goes, "Well, remember that thing at the restaurant we we're supposed to go to?" Well, that's kind of gotten to a bigger thing. Now it's twenty five hundred. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I, I, I was in for one fifty. I could have stretched it to two fifty or five. That,
4: that guy's service has increased dramatically. Oh, now all of a sudden, it's it's
2: it's and, and then I have a lot of people on the show that all they do is rag about, you know, Chicago's democratic. It's not Democrat at all. It's a business. It's it's an it's an empire. These people are, you know, they're 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 whatever. They're Caesar in town, or think they are. So all of a sudden, now the, the fact that he's 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 li- he's, he's gaining momentum here, and it looks like he might actually get in. All of a sudden, the price of poker has gone from one hundred and fifty to twenty five hundred just to meet the guy. <laughs>
4: So yeah, I mean, well, there's only one of them. There's only one of him, right? Well, no, he's going to buy it. This guy is one, yeah. And then the demand for services is skyrocketing, so that's yeah. why the price is going because,
3: up.
2: Because I mean, the, the city's going to be giving out nothing but legal deals. They're going to, you know, people can can manage the pension funds. They're gonna be, the, the, the amount of of I won't say graft, but the amount of stuff the city gives people. I had a client one time told me. Tim, what are you doing in this business? We actually got to work really hard, and, and if, if the market goes up and people are making enough, their are He goes, I, I could have got you... All you have to do is be the, the guy who provides lunch at the jail or something, or anything, laundry. <laughs> all you need is one of those gigs, and you never have to work yeah. for the rest of your life. I mean, you it, retire at 50. Well, you, or you, just, you don't really retire because you got to be involved, but yeah. you can be at the country club, you can be... You don't need, you don't need any of this other stuff you're doing. I'm like... You know, I never thought of it that way, but maybe, maybe if I had to do it over again, I might get on that rut. I don't think I would, but you know, <laughs> all you all you need is one of these contracts, and you're set. I mean, yeah. you know, so and all of a sudden, you know, Valus is the guy that can, and I don't think he's crooked or anything like that. I actually kind of like the guy, but I, but all of a sudden, I think mean, well, it's just the way the game is
4: played. Just right? Just the way the game is it's played. Way the game is played.
2: But uh, hell, good stuff today. Uh, if I, if I see, I am trying to dig out that book. You'll love to see it. That one. Uh, let's put it this way: if that was the first book you read of Milton Friedman, you would never have read any of the other ones. If that's a first, I song.
4: think I probably would have read more.
2: <laughs> God, I love those, I
4: love those kinds of books.
2: You might be the only guy who actually cares about the math in there. I sure did. SP futures down seven. future futures down one. We have the chairman Paul speaking today, and we'll talk about it tomorrow morning. Stocks and Jacks.